Welcome to Presidential Podcast. This is Philip. And this is Robert. And today we're on to Bill Clinton. The uh, man from hope or the last new frontiersman. All right. uh, Hold on. Before we get started, I'd like to say a few words about our historiography and about our production. First of all, with regards to the production, this is what I would term guerrilla scholarship. We are not academics. We are not professional historians. We are not people who have any sort of professional interest in uh, history, American history, politics, or any of that. We're people who are giving voice to hopefully a somewhat intelligent voice to uh, interpreting the events of uh, American history. Second of all, as far as our historiography, we use commonly accessible free sources. Uh, We depend a lot on encyclopedias, upon Wikipedia, and also uh, official documents, for example, the Congressional uh, Research Service for uh, the um, verification of the things that we say. But we are interpreting events very broadly from the perspective of intelligent laymen. And we're doing so basically on uh, home equipment. So uh, if you can get into that and you don't need to have some authority uh, stuffed shirt tell you what to think, uh, you're the kind of person we want listening to us. If you're the sort of person who's willing to engage in a little bit of controversy and, and listen to some uh, perhaps even far-out ideas that are drawn from uh, commonly available sources, you're the sort of person we want here to be a listener. So with that, uh, let me turn it over to Phil for a second so he can uh, begin the first question. All right, so we just finished Monroe. Um and we want to come into Clinton. It's pretty much our first modern president. I think the last one we did was we touched on some of the Vietnam War, but we haven't done anything post-Vietnam War. So this is a, pretty much our first president in the past 50 years. Uh, Clinton, I think, is number 42, right? Yes. And uh, we should begin with his childhood in Arkansas. Start us off right there. All right. Before we get to his uh, um, childhood, I want to mention something uh, about what Phil uh, brought up. Clinton is hard to consider as a modern president. The, uh, the world changed in American politics after Watergate. It changed again dramatically after the fall, or the, uh, fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union. Before the collapse of the Soviet Union, we could talk about the post-war period being the post-World War period. After the fall of the Soviet Union, we began talking about the post-war period as the post-Cold War period. So I'll continually make those distinctions between the post-World War II period and the post-war period. Uh, I'd also like to say that, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the modern period ended with the fall of the Soviet Union. The last great ideological empire came apart, 
and we entered a, a, a new period in our history, uh, in our combined history as, as humanity, as, as in, in the globe, as citizens of the planet, in that there's at this point no uh, country, no uh, combination of countries that are united behind a particular ideological, uh, ideological thesis or idea. So postmodernism is how we term our period. Uh, we're in a period of much less intellectual order, a period in which uh, the validity of ideological or political ideas is constantly in doubt. And Clinton was the first president to deal with that. He was the uh, perhaps the last new frontiersman. The uh, new frontier, of course, being John Kennedy's term for uh, an expansive American ideology of spreading uh, American-style representative democracy and market-based uh, economy out to the rest of the world. Uh, Clinton also is the man from hope, hope being uh, a, a, a democratic, democratic party sort of uh, slogan. Uh, Obama used it very effectively uh, with his hope uh, poster. Uh, Biden has been talking about hope arriving and help being on the way. Clinton pioneered this with his uh, naming of himself as the man from hope. Hope, of course, being a small town in Arkansas where Clinton was born and where he grew up. Uh, a number of our previous presidents grew up in families where the mother was absent. And this is primarily the result of them growing up on the American frontier where um, childbirth was pretty hazardous and women uh, with tragic frequency died uh, giving birth to children. Lincoln's mother, for instance, died uh, in the delivery of one of his siblings. And so the mother was gone, the father remarried, and, and Lincoln was raised by his stepmother. Um, as we mentioned with Monroe, uh, Monroe's parents died, and he grew up as an orphan, the oldest child of the brood, taking care of younger siblings. In Clinton's case, we have the first instance of a boy growing up in what we used to term as a broken family. Uh, Clinton's father left the home, divorced the mother. The mother subsequently remarried. And so Clinton is the first president to come, to a, come of age and enter politics uh, being the child of, of divorce. So it, in, in, in many respects, Clinton's psychology differs from the psychology of his predecessors. Um, he was noted as a very bright boy. He was a big kid. Uh, he grew up into a very tall man, about six foot four. And he was noted throughout his childhood and uh, adolescence and early manhood as a person with a great uh, 
degree of intellectual and physical gifts. And this marked him uh, from the very beginning. As a young boy, early adolescence or so, middle school age, roughly 12, 13, that sort of age, Clinton became very fascinated with President Kennedy. And he saw President Kennedy, his wealth, his sophistication, his glittering lifestyle as being the epitome of what Bill Clinton wanted to grow up to be and to enjoy in his adult life. And there's a famous picture of Bill Clinton at a Boy Nation convention, the Boy Nation being an organization that picked promising young boys, the promise being their scholastic ability, uh, their forensic and debating skills. Clinton went to the National Convention representing his home state of Arkansas. And there's a famous picture of Bill Clinton shaking hands with President Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy, his usual unflappable self, looks very calm, very collected, in shaking hands with the young Bill Clinton. Um, the story is that after each handshake, he wiped his hands off with a towel. Uh, Bill Clinton, already uh, bigger than Kennedy, physically taller, looks at Kennedy with an admiring uh, gaze. Uh, he has that aw shucks bubba kind of face that became famous while he was president. He's clearly entranced with the president clearly wanting to impress the president. But when I look at this picture, uh, there's a third man in the picture who I always find the most interesting person in the picture. He's a, a, a man who's a, a, a bit shorter than President Kennedy, who was six foot, uh, quite a bit stockier. He has the usual middle-aged girth, kind of a, a pearish or bulbish figure, thick neck, He's wearing a VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars, campaign hat, uh, which is the kind of headgear that was common with the post-World War II vets. And he's looking at Clinton with this look of almost, uh, he, has a, he has a look of being aghast, almost to the point of viewing Clinton with contempt. And I always think he's either, this man either doesn't care much for Kennedy or he doesn't care much for Clinton. He thinks Clinton is making way too big a deal of it, kind of making an ass of himself. And the president, unflappable as he is, is, is handling it smoothly. But this third man looks kind of embarrassed by the whole scene. And to me, this picture epitomizes a lot about Bill Clinton, who came to office in his mid-40s and in, in many, 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 many ways was kind of an unsophisticated bumpkin going on into Washington. So he grows up in uh, uh, Hope, Hope, Arkansas, had a brother who uh, had a lot of substance abuse problems, had a lot of legal problems, raised by a very domineering, very forceful woman. Uh, she was an RN, a registered nurse, and she had a lot of influence in instilling a sense of ambition and uh, drive in the young Bill Clinton. So, 
Why? So you're saying basically that Bill Clinton maybe admired Kennedy in the same way that Biden admired FDR? It was more personal. It was more personal. I mean, Biden and why, admires FDR. And why, why would he not admire a Southern politician given he's from Arkansas? Well, the Southern politicians during Clinton's uh, upbringing... And Ch Clinton was born in 46? Yes. Uh -huh. Were uh, marred by the stain of racism. I mean, the, 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 the Southern states at that point, with few exceptions, were dominated by segregationist Democrats, Bourbon Democrats. So, so this is by the time Clinton is in high school and the civil rights movement is starting to gain steam. Right, and, you know, of course, Little Rock was the scene of a big desegregation battle. Uh, the governor of Arkansas, uh, Governor Orville Faubus, uh, was one of the arch-segregationists. Uh, they used to refer to him as the Fob, for whatever reason, as if they liked him for somehow. But he was he was a, 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 a dyed-in-the-wool segregationist who... who Really, who really viewed the white race as being superior to the black and whose whole political philosophy was uh, built around that uh, mistaken idea. Do you think that Clinton... Why, why did he have such a uh, palette for civic life versus uh, business? That's always a good question. Um, Does he have a background? I mean, is there a background? Does he have someone his, in his family? His stepfather was an insurance salesman. Okay. So I'm thinking that the stepfather kind of stepped in as the father, not entirely successfully. Um, probably wanted to show Clinton his business, teach him to trade, uh, teach him how to, how to uh, close sales, close deals. Uh, but Clinton really. Uh, I think found that kind of boring. Didn't feel that the degree of distinction and honor uh, that accrued to a successful business career was sufficient for him. I mean, Clinton really, probably this also goes to his mother, uh, had a, 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 a titanic ego. Titanic ego. All right. So. Clinton st finishes at Hope High School, I guess. He was student body president, right? Right. And then he goes off to Georgetown. How poor was he? Because there's a lot of, I think, folklore about his poverty, but maybe, you know, not exactly accurate. Probably between the time that his father was divorced and his mother took up with his stepfather, they probably had it pretty tough. His, his mother was a nurse, but she had, she was raising two kids. So she probably uh, didn't work full time. I think even uh, nursing wages in the North back then were pretty low. Uh, you know, nursing is, it, uh, until very recently, has always been considered a monumentally underpaid profession. Uh, so Mrs. Uh, Clinton's mother, uh, didn't necessarily work full-time, picked up jobs as she could for low wages, and it wasn't until the, uh, the remarriage uh, 
that they really started rebuilding the family finances. And again, she was a, a divorced woman with two children, uh, married to in, in in a second marriage, in a conservative state where how, how uh, that much, was probably frowned on. How much more well? Okay, I would like to talk about the morals that he was raised with, and morals becomes a big question for him. I think not. Uh, unimpeachable like Monroe. Um, Biden always tells the story on the campaign trail of his dad telling him, Joe or Joey, I lost my job. We have to move from Scranton. Uh, and so Joe Biden, our current president, kind of from the same era as Clinton, kind of like, you know, a white liberal kind of good guy um are they the same income class same background basically but one is from pennsylvania one is from arkansas or should we not think of it like so, that so so my wife always accuses me of being hypercritical and this is one of the instances where it's going to come out i gotta say joe biden's reminiscences of his childhood his dad any of that have to be uh, taken with a high degree of skepticism. I mean, remember, Biden' uh, first campaign was marked by plagiarism when he talked about his par- his grandparents being in the coal mines and basically plagiarized a speech from a, a Welsh politician. Uh, a Biden plagiarized a speech almost word for word. B There's no uh, empirical evidence of any kind that Biden's grandparents or anybody else in his direct line was ever a coal miner or had to go down into coal pits. Um, The same sort of thing applies with Biden's reminiscences about his father, who uh, apparently was a uh, moderately successful uh, car dealership owner. So we think, you know, now we have Carvana, is that, is that right? Carvana and these other uh, internet car sales uh, mediums. But in, in, in the times that we're talking about, up until maybe the 2010s, car dealers were gold mines. I mean, it was like you were printing money. John Elway, the uh, Denver quarterback, who wanted to replicate his immense athletic salary when he left football, bought car dealerships around the Denver area in order to accrue enough money to reimburse himself at the rates that he uh, was used to being an NFL golden boy. So Biden, I don't think, is comparable to Clinton. I think Clinton was not impoverished, but we might call his uh, upbringing uh, genteel poverty or, or genteel impecunity. Okay, and he goes to Georgetown. Georgetown is an expensive school in an expensive city, a very privileged place. Um, he goes on scholarship, I presume. And also, what is his moral and intellectual background does he have a lot of family who are well educated 
Is his mother particularly religious or kind of not so much? Is he more imbued with, you know, traditional Americana type values? What What is his, uh, I mean, is he into the civil rights? Like, what are his moral uh, imprints as a young person? So we're, we're, we're getting into some issues here where um, we start banging up almost immediately against uh, pretty common American stereotypes. I mean, people from Arkansas not viewed as being particularly sophisticated or worldly. Um, like uh, a great deal of the South, the 11 states of the old Confederacy, a very, very high proportion of Arkansas residents, Arkansas citizens, however we'll refer to them, are Baptists. And, uh, you know, Baptists kind of run the gamut. Uh, my reading indicates that uh, Clinton and his mother belonged to the American Baptist movement, the most liberal, uh, at that time one of the larger segments of, of the Baptist uh, set of, of synods or whatever they call uh, their various congregations. I mean, they were not the Southern Baptists or the uh, General Assembly of Regular Baptists, the type of fundamentalists whom a lot of Northerners or a lot of uh, liberals think of when they think of Baptists. I mean, they were, they were pretty liberal. And we will recall American Baptist movement was founded by Roger Williams, uh, preaching to the Indians. So there's a very, very strong strain of racial equality and striving for fair treatment for the Indians and for blacks in the American Baptist movement. And Clinton seems to have kind of taken that in. But also, Georgetown is a Catholic school with a very strong leaning towards social activism and a strong uh, commitment to civil rights and um, the advancement of blacks, browns, and other, uh, what do we call them, disenfranchised or dispossessed people in the American social polity. Okay, so tell us about his time in Georgetown. How did he get there? How good were his grades? What kind of scholarship did he get? Later he goes to England, but let's start with Georgetown. Well, I think his, uh, his record in, in, in Georgetown was pretty good, pretty unremarkable. <clears throat> I think the uh, most remarkable aspect of Bill Clinton's college career and uh, his uh, chronology of these years is always kind of, kind of doubtful. I mean, he was a political science major. He wanted to go to law school. He would become a Rhodes Scholar. But I think uh, as far as his self-reflection on his college experience, one of the most uh, telling comments he made was when he was asked once if he uh, smoked marijuana, he admitted to having uh, smoked marijuana, but said that he didn't inhale. Why do you think that's a telling anecdote? Um, because it, 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 I think, shows a lot about Clinton's mental uh, image of himself, that he's 
somebody who wants to be liked. He wants to be considered a regular guy, but he also wants to be seen as a person above reproach and a person who has no skeletons in his closet, no acts of uh, outright immorality, uh, no peccadillos or anything like that in his background. Is it because of a pride thing or a shame thing? I would say more shame than pride. Okay, so it's not like, oh, I'm proud of my moral virtue. It's more like I don't want to have to deal with a great amount of shame uh, if I have a moral stain. And it, 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 it might relate back to a degree of insecurity. Uh, as, as I mentioned, he was not in the uh, secure social circles in high school or in college. I mean, he's always noted as a person who had gifts. I mean, he had scholarships, he had good grades, he got along well with his professors and his teachers, but he was probably one of those kids who uh, his classmates looked at and kind of made fun of and kind of felt with somebody they didn't want to get particularly close to, maybe even somebody who might contaminate them with his uh, goody-goodiness if, if they became too, uh, too close to him on a social basis. Okay, well, we'll have to see how uh, he rises to the top of the social heap. Let's go on to him as a Rhodes Scholar and Yale Law School. Again, Rhodes Scholar, uh, not particularly remarkable, uh, but a big thing on his resume. You know, it's, it's, it's unquestionable that a Rhodes Scholarship uh, award uh, designates the uh, recipient as an exceptional scholar, a person uh, of great potential. And he went over there, and if, I, I want to say Cambridge, and uh, did well while he was over there. Um, the people who knew him seemed to like him. Nobody has any particularly strong memories of him. When he got to Yale, though, he was, he was a very good law student. But he, this is where he met Hillary. And the story about them meeting is that they kind of sat on opposite sides of the lecture hall, uh, were aware of each other, and performed for each other for a fairly extended period of time before they actually began speaking to each other and associating with each other. And I would, I would say that Hillary is one of the big influences and one of the big shapers in Bill Clinton's life. But at this time, uh, he recognized her potential. She was, uh, at, at that point, probably the more promising of the two. I mean, she had a degree of ambition, uh, unusual even for the women uh, working into professional jobs back in that period when a lot of the professions were uh, basically closed off to women. What would you say was um, the aspects of Hillary that Bill found so attractive physically or emotionally or etc. professionally and vice versa? Well, this is a lot of speculation. But I think Hillary uh, in her college years was fairly plain. 
Uh, Bill was big. He had very regular features. He has a, a very fair complexion. Uh, kind of sandy colored hair. Uh, is, I don't know, what would we say, a seven or an eight uh, out of 10 in terms of, of physical attractiveness, somewhere, somewhere along those lines. He had a certain degree of uh, exoticism given he was from the South. He was a liberal, which probably indicated to her and to the other classmates a degree of independence and moral probity. And he had a fine mind and he was very ambitious. So I, I think Hillary was probably very uh, flattered by his attentions and probably found him pretty fascinating. Also, one of the aspects which, again, here is, is a lot of speculation, I think the uh, Hillary and Bill might have been open to the ideas of an open relationship. Uh, both of them, given their uh, economic background, uh, their general personalities, probably thought that the open relationship was the way to go and not to uh, commit themselves to one person. And I guess it might be that Hillary's uh, idea of an open relationship was probably not quite so open as Bill's. I mean, we'll have to touch on a little bit of that, I presume, as we go down the line. Um, you didn't say exactly what Bill found interesting about Hillary or attractive about Hillary. So there's an old joke about Hillary and Bill going back to their hometown in Arkansas. And of course, it's a joke because Hillary grew up basically in the Chicago area, not in, in Arkansas. And uh, they get back to, to uh, wherever the town is, Hope. And they see one of the boys that liked Hillary and that Hillary had kind of a crush on back in uh, their high school days or whenever. And uh, Bill decides he really wants to get to know the guy, you know, and see what he's like, see what his early rivals were like. So he really chats the guy up, and they have, you know, whatever Bill Clinton likes to do with guys when uh, he meets them like that. And they have grand old time together. So they're driving back to the, uh, to the airport to uh, get sent back to uh, Washington, get on Air Force One, go back to Washington. And Bill says, wow, Hillary, just think, if you had stuck with him, you'd still be back here in uh, Outer Egypt, Arkansas, with him and his gas station. And Hillary uh, looks at Bill and says, Bill, if I had stuck with him, he'd be in the White House now. So I think it was this aspect of uh, uh, Borgia-type ruthlessness and uh, ambition on Hillary's part that drew Bill to her. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I read similar, something similar that Hillary possessed, I mean, had great self-possession and that was part of uh, what attracted Bill to her. Um, so let's go ahead to Hillary's law career and Bill getting into politics. So Hillary, How old are they when they graduate Yale Law School? Well, normal age, late 20s. Okay. So Hillary 
actually got a, a, a faster start on things than Bill. Bill had to go back to Arkansas, you know, and start uh, campaigning. Hillary went to D.C. and got a job for Sam Dash, who was the uh, chief of staff for Senator Sam Irvin, uh, who is famous. I, I just see people saying, Sam Irvin, I've heard that name. And he was famous for chairing the uh, Watergate Committee, investigating the various electoral crimes uh, that Richard Nixon uh, committed in the uh, in his re-election campaign. And Hillary apparently uh, was one of the smartest, hardest working, most incisive uh, junior counsels on the staff and, and came to Dash's opinion and he felt that uh, her work did a lot to convince Senator Irvin uh, not quite a segregationist, but still a conservative Southern Democrat, uh, that they had a case. And Hillary was uh, good enough at compiling the evidence that Howard Baker, the Republican ranking member on the committee, came up with the famous litany what did the president know and when did the president know it? I mean, Hillary had the goods on the president, knew the dates, knew the information, knew who the president was talking to, the president being Richard Nixon, knew what they talked about and had everything. And then it was uh, Howard Baker uh, studying Hillary's notes from the depositions, who was able either to impeach the witnesses and disprove their defenses of the president or, uh, more tellingly, to create the evidentiary trail that led to the theory of Watergate, that it was, in fact, uh, carried out at the president's behest, and that he did, in fact, uh, impede the investigations of the crimes of burglary and other crimes that were committed in carrying out his attempt to sway the 1972 election. Okay, so Hillary has a big impact in that case. What about Bill's start in politics? He starts campaigning. What is he running for? So Bill's first uh, office was uh, Arkansas State Attorney General. And Bill was the boy everything. He was the boy Attorney General. Four years later, he became the boy governor. And by boy Attorney General, boy governor, I mean that he achieved these offices at ages that were unprecedented in Arkansas history. 32 years old, the youngest person elected to be Arkansas Attorney General. 36 years old, the youngest person to be elected uh, Governor of Arkansas. And Arkansas has kind of a history of young up-and-coming politicians making uh, gigantic splashes as uh, uh, in, in politics there. And Bill realized, you know, he had to have a big office like that. And Bill also realized that the uh, southern states are governed in a way that makes them uh, microcosms of the federal government. Can you explain what you mean by that? So, my state, New York, for instance, has all kinds of state 
programs that are not copied in other states or at the federal level. For example, in the New York State budget that was passed, um, today's Thursday, it was passed on Tuesday, uh, April 6th, uh, 2021. New York State allocated $5 billion for economic assistance to people who are ineligible due to their immigration status primarily for any other sort of federal aid uh, in, in, in pandemic relief. I am not clear as to whether that will be proposed at the federal level. Uh, if it's proposed, it won't pass. Uh, I don't believe there are any other states that are, are telling the people who uh, uh, lack legal documentation to be in the United States that, yeah, we're going to pay you uh, the equivalent of $300 a week retroactively to reimburse you for the uh, benefits that you weren't eligible to get under, under the CARES Act. So in uh, Arkansas, we're looking at kind of bare-bones government. We're looking at a state that enacts very few state-level initiatives in government and even fewer liberal-type initiatives in state government. I mean, right now, Arkansas is in a bit of controversy because they, their legislature passed a, uh, a bill uh, forbidding uh, transgender students in their schools from uh, using the bathroom uh, for their assigned genders. The governor uh, vetoed the bill and the governor's veto of the bill is, is, is more in keeping of Arkansas. A, it's a small government type veto, you know. He doesn't think that the government should get involved. State government should get involved in what's a local school board matter. And uh, there's a certain degree of uh, kind of a perverse liberalism to the, the Arkansas political culture. But Arkansas essentially takes the programs that are mandated by the federal government after uh, Nixon became president and they started giving out block grants, which is to say the government, federal government handed the state governments uh, big tranches of cash, said this is your health block, uh, do with it as you will under our general guidelines. Clinton uh, was a governor who took uh, the state government and uh, didn't, uh, didn't innovate, didn't start coming in with new programs, but took the authorization from the federal programs and the federal dollars and took it to the hilt and expanded it to the greatest degree possible, especially in ways that help poor people. And uh, Clinton had a special uh, concern for poor blacks, realizing that they had been systematically uh, pushed out of the system under Jim Crow. And Clinton realized that he had to make particular efforts as the chief executive of Arkansas to assure that black people got the same sort of treatment, the same sort of benefits okay. that whites were getting. So there was basically a couple of well-known 
aspects of Clinton as governor. The tax hike, losing re-election, and then I think winning again. But And I want you to talk about that, but maybe there are other pieces of legislation that he passed that uh, speak to what you were talking about that maybe you could specify a little bit. And also, I would like to for you to touch on whether or not he becomes a national figure as the governor of Arkansas, or is it not until he decides to run in the Democratic primary that that's the case? Okay, there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, Clinton was not one to... He wasn't like Lyndon Johnson or like Joe Biden wants to be, that he wants to come in and enact a big legislative package and remake... Uh, the government. He did not have a new deal, a new frontier, anything like that. What, what Clinton was able to do was through very painstaking attention to detail, uh, massively uh, uh, gritty and detailed uh, directions to the state administrators he was able to move Arkansas state government in ways that, that benefited the poor and that made racial equality, uh, advanced racial equality in Arkansas. It was more little things. And, and this was important because this was basically how he operated when he got to the national level. I mean, the, the Arkansas... Uh, legislature at that time was still overwhelmingly Democratic, but they were very conservative Democrats. Guys like Clinton's stepfather, who were really concerned about uh, earning a living, earning a living in a small business, earning a living in a hardware store, uh, a law firm, uh, an insurance agency, uh, car lot, some kind of a small business like that. So Clinton had to smooth, smooth them and convince them to go along with the really, really compendious and large uh, legislative plan or governmental plans that he had, administrative plans that he had. But he didn't offer big bills that would get their names in the paper and get them in trouble. He just offered them bills that they could use to advance their own interests. Now, where he got in trouble uh, as governor was that uh, there was a, 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 a boat lift out of Cuba. Uh, people were fleeing the communist regime in Cuba in great numbers uh, during Jimmy Carter's term in office. And we're talking late 70s, 76 to 1980. And uh, a lot of them were uh, crashing at sea. The, the boats that were carrying them across the Strait of Florida were breaking apart or, or people were uh, being washed overboard. And literally corpses of people were washing ashore on the, on the beaches of South Florida. And President Carter struggled uh, with the Congress and with other international organizations to come to some sort of accord with Castro and the communist government there, who were still under all the quarantine rules. Uh, 
all the embargo rules that had been enacted under Kennedy and who he really couldn't deal with, but he, he, he was trying to. And Carter said, uh, as part of his human rights campaign and his idea that, that people should be allowed to move freely over international borders, uh, opened up American, uh, opened up America to the Cuban refugees, the anti-communist Cuban refugees coming. Uh, Castro was offended and he retaliated by saying, well, you're going to take all these people. I'm going to send you my prisoners as well. And he took uh, the entire prison population of their major uh, biggest prison, Marilito prison, and uh, shipped them over to Florida. Uh, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of despicable Cuban criminals coming into the United States. I, I met with one of them when I worked at prisons and, and uh, I got in a conversation with him and it was a, a difficult conversation. My Spanish isn't that great, his English isn't that good. And we had another guy sitting with us who was able to uh, kind of keep the conversation going. Uh, I was a counselor uh, type, he was a prisoner. And I was talking to him and I said, so, uh, what was your offense in Cuba? And he said, I shot a guy. And I said, oh, you shot a guy. You know, uh, how, did, how did that go? And he says, well, we were playing poker, and he cheated. So I pulled out my pistol, and I blew his brains out. And this is the sort of person that Castro released on our shores uh, during the Marilito boat lift. Needless to say, uh, these men had to be reincarcerated. Clinton, being a good Southern Democratic governor, took a, a, a lot of them, put them in his state prison system, unfortunately concentrated one of the, uh, them in one of the Arkansas state prisons. They had a major riot. Uh, there was a, a pretty high uh, loss of property and loss of life. And Clinton uh, was held accountable for the prison riot and for uh, importing all these Cuban prisoners and making the Arkansas prisons so much uh, more unsafe. And he lost his uh, first uh, bid at re-election as governor of Arkansas. And that was his big first, his first big setback in his life. Okay, and uh, how did he deal with it? So uh, Clinton still was a lawyer. Um, Hillary was a lawyer. And Clinton immediately went to work campaigning and rebuilding his credibility uh, with the voters of Arkansas. And uh, Mrs. Clinton, uh, Mrs. Rodham Clinton, uh, she kept her, uh, her maiden name as, as part of the designation, or Ms. Rodham Clinton, I guess I should say. Uh, took over as uh, got herself in, in, into a law firm, took a job, and uh, got involved with uh, a couple, uh, the MacDougals. The MacDougals had a lot of wealthy friends in different parts of Arkansas, and they formed an investment company, the Whitewater Real Estate Investment Company, a company that would become famous. Uh, later in Clinton's life. 
and they began making real estate investments around the state of Arkansas. And at this point, uh, the uh, attraction of Florida was beginning to wane. The population of Florida was going up substantially. It was becoming more and more of a, of a place where I think uh, wealthier people went. And so the other southern states, uh, South Carolina, uh, Alabama notably, but also Arkansas, began uh, receiving snowbirds and people from uh, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, New York, Pennsylvania, and so on, who were looking for uh, retirement homes. And so the Whitewater Corporation was formed to uh, develop uh, real estate and kind of cater to that market. Okay. And uh, he runs again, I guess, in the following election. What year is that? So we always have to trace back to when he ran. So let's say 84. And then he runs in 84. He wins their four-year terms? Yes. Um, let me think. Is no, he loses 80, in 84. 84 is when he lost. So um, He runs again in 88. Well, he was re-elected, so it must have been 86. 86. Are they only two-year terms? Four-year terms, and he was re-elected in 90. Oh, okay. So he was on his second... He was re-elected in 90. He was two years in when he ran. Correct. Okay. All right, so let's stop there. All right, what do you want to... You didn't explain where Clinton is on the national stage. Let's say when he wins again in 90, is he a national figure yet? What At what level? So, um... Clinton uh, gave a speech at the 88 National Convention, Democratic 88 National Convention, and pretty much bombed it. He went on way too long. People started getting out. He pretty much um, uh, embarrassed himself. And he realized that he wasn't going to be the sort of uh, orator that Barack Obama became, that he gives a speech, everybody pays attention to it, and for the next four years he can build on that and work his way toward the nomination. So, But Clinton did recognize that his administrative ability and his attention to detail uh, were massive assets in a Democratic Party full of rhetoricians and orators like Mario Cuomo, uh, Gary Hart, and a number of others. So Clinton became a pillar in uh, the Democratic uh, leadership uh, group, which was uh, business-oriented, centrist Democrats, a Democratic Leadership uh, Coalition, DLC, a group that Jesse Jackson uh, roundly denounced when he ran for president in 88, but that was Clinton's bread-and-butter type area. He liked them a lot. And Clinton became the chairman of the National Governors Association. And the National Governors, Governors Association is an association 
of the 50 governors and the person who is recognized among his peer governors as being the most innovative, the most dynamic, etc., and so on, gets to be elected the chairman. Is he comparable to um, California's governor today? I think Gavin Newsom is way, way more glamorous and appealing than Clinton was at the time. I mean, Clinton... Is he like Ralph Northam? He wasn't, he wasn't as stodgy and as pokey as Ralph Northam. Uh, the other thing about Clinton, which I, I, I wanted to bring up, was, that, was the so-called Arkansas economic miracle. What's the biggest company, the, the name when you hear Arkansas, the retailing company that we immediately think of? Walmart. And Sam uh, Walton and Bill Clinton were pretty close. And Bill Clinton was a big part in helping Sam Walton get the kind of corporate governance laws that he needed to expand Walmart. Hmm. And the other, the other uh, big business titan in Clinton's background is Tyson and the Tyson Chicken Company. And uh, that is an agribusiness empire that got a lot of favorable treatment from Clinton and became a... Uh, a a food processing giant. So the Arkansas economic miracle was relatively uh, low skill, pink collar and blue collar jobs, pink collar jobs in retailing through Walmart and uh, blue collar jobs through Walmart distribution and through agricultural food processing type jobs. All right, great. All right, so let's end there. We'll pick up again with the 92 presidential election. Very good. All right, signing off. This was Philip. And this is Robert, and good night to all, and get out and enjoy the weather. This was Presidential Podcast.